This week, we look at Marathon Gold's latest environmental statement on the controversial Valentine Lake gold mine. Risk rating? Still high. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 209, made possible with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Mi'kmaq Matters. March 3rd is the deadline for public comment to provincial regulators on the latest version of Marathon Gold's environmental impact statement on the Valentine Lake gold mine. This is the latest step in the provincial review process. There is also a federal review, which is not as far along. A year ago, Mi'kmaq Matters was one of the community and environmental organizations that received funding from the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada to comment on what would be the largest gold mine in Atlantic Canada, a mine that would be built on the most ecologically sensitive area in the province, on land containing the watersheds for the Exploits River and other major water bodies, and in the middle of caribou migratory routes. Mi'kmaq Matters retained an expert to look at the project. He's Brian McLaren, a former staffer in the Provincial Wildlife Division, and now Associate Professor in the Department of Natural Resources Management at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Ontario. He's been reading Marathon's latest submissions. We asked him what he thought. So it's almost, uh, well, it's a little over a year since we were cramming to get our submissions into the Impact Assessment Agency of Canada. That's we right. Very, very, we had a very tight deadline. And, um, well, I guess... Our submissions and the other submissions have had some impact because we uh, we've had a uh, another iteration of the uh, uh, environmental plan for Marathon Gold uh, for the Valentine uh, Lake Gold Mine. So what could, what we can discuss today is uh, is uh, the extent to which they answer the concerns, in particular about uh, about caribou and. Um, you in your reading, uh, I understand you like some of the things they have done with the site plan. They've uh, they relocated some things. They made some uh, arrangements for for a caribou uh, navigating through the area. Uh, so tell us about those uh, those positive aspects of this uh, revised marathon plan. Uh, yeah, so the, the plan you're referring to is actually called Caribou Protection and Environmental Effects Monitoring Plan. So it's got both those components. Uh, 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 as to the site plan, uh, you know, actually rock piles increase their overall footprint by 10%, but in part that's because there's protection around the, uh, the effluent pond uh, by putting rock piles on the west and east sides and by separating the intended rock piles into two so that there's chance for caribou to wander between them. So the corridor opens up slightly. I, I, I call those modest changes, and as mentioned, even an increased footprint. But what I really like is the fact that this was done in consultation with the Wildlife Division biologists. That should have been a conversation that happened with the first environmental uh, impact assessment, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. 
Now, the um, the uh, one of the other issues that we were concerned about was the um, was the migration route and how the and how the uh, the footprint of the mine would impact on the uh, the route for a couple of the herds. Um, and um, so they have more, I think it's fair to say there are, there's more detail now than we had before. Before it was very vague about what they had in mind. Um, so here uh, they've provided some detail about what they, what they would plan to do in terms of uh, uh, what would trigger a, uh, a reduction in activity, what would trigger a shutdown and some information about um, a sort of definite shutdown at, uh, at migration time. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, one issue that we had was, um, was how you uh, physically, how you keep track of, uh, of uh, what was happening with caribou in the area. And uh, so they, they talk about, um, uh, you know, buying these cameras. I think uh, uh, something, uh, 12 cameras, and they've, uh, there was a reference to uh, collars on 60 caribou. Which the company will supply. Yes. And just, I mean, what, uh, what do you think about the number of uh, collars and, uh, and cameras? I mean, it's a 20, uh, kilometer by 10 kilometer development site. Now I know that, uh, you know, the migration routes aren't on all of that territories, but it's a big area and uh, 60 collars doesn't, doesn't seem like a lot, but uh, what, what do you think of the numbers there uh, of the equipment, collars and, and cameras? Well, given the size of the herd, I think, you know, the, the, it's almost 10% of the animals in the buckets herd, I think that will be collared. And you do have caribou migrating in, in groups. So if, if you've got at least one caller in the first group to begin migrating, then you're probably okay. Um, remember, there's also monitors on site, people during the uh, migration period who, whose job it will be to look for caribou. The, the callers, I assume, are focused in that migratory route and they are um, uh, th therefore, you know, given placement with good lines of sight, likely to pick up caribou and they're they're not being read as i understand the document they're not they're not being read you know two or three weeks later they're they're being read uh, in real time so you know again that's the level of detail i i would have expected and now we we see it as to my impression of of what they document as risk for the gray river and, and mostly the buckins heard it's honesty this time that you know that there's no beating around the bush the site plan involves a, a high risk uh, to Buckins caribou, um, whether they continue to use the migratory route that, that is the preferred one energetically that goes right through the site or whether they, which is the likelier scenario, move their migratory path, both have indirect effects or direct effects on the caribou. Yes. Now, uh, in the plan, we have uh, a certain, there's a table that says, you know, if we see one caribou, uh, we're going to do this. And uh, it goes up there. And then there's a, uh, you know, there's a shutdown, uh, a three-week shutdown at key points of the year. Um, 
Is that, um, what do you think of that? Because we also have uh, in the materials, the general seasons for Ireland, Caribou and Newfoundland. And um, it's not, um, you know, it's not three weeks. I mean, the, uh, the pre-calving, the calving, the post-calving takes up, you know, basically the entire spring. Um, and so I guess the question is about this, uh, about this three weeks, is that, is that realistic? And uh, are we assuming, uh, you know, uh, the situation is gonna be the same from year to year? i.e. The, ca the caribou are looking at their calendar when to travel. Right. Uh, well, the, their travel is, is kind of time to snowfall and, and snow melt. And uh, one of the things I can say is that, uh, uh, you know, one of the appendices to this 100-page appendix does have data from cameras uh, and callers for uh, three years, 19, 20, and 21, and those are still active. Um, the, the, the answer is no. I mean, the, the typical spring migration um, did not occur in 2020 or 21. Um, it went almost a month longer um, in 2021. So, uh, you know, what, what, what I can only say is that uh, if, as you point this out, I think about it, there'd be good reason to extend the shutdown period, especially in spring. That's when the animals are most sensitive. Let's say it should be five weeks. That that would be a point to argue. Mm. Yeah. What and and they admit that themselves that of course and in the spring. I mean the uh, the the uh, the caribou. Uh, you know, it's been a hard winter. Uh, they're calving, so there's a lot of, you know, the there's the the animals are under physical stress, so they're at their most vulnerable in the spring. And what they say in the fall, of course, they're they're in much different physical shape and they're traveling more quickly, they're stronger. So I think that spring period is still uh, the cause for some concern. Um, yes. mm -hmm. um, and I suppose the other thing is uh, with these monitors on site, so it's employees and contractors and some uh, wildlife personnel that we understand will be on site. That's my understanding. Yeah. So it's going to, we're going to rely on the integrity and the honesty of these people who work for Marathon, who work for the company. Uh, there's going to be cross pressures there, financial cross pressures. Or we see a caribou, we're going to shut down all this equipment because we saw one caribou. So um, the, the trust, the trust factor here is very important that they, they fulfill um, their undertakings uh, when there's not necessarily a wildlife official around. Um, and I, I suppose it is what it is. We just, we just have to trust there's uh, that's the, what we're left with. Yeah. Well, you're aware there's been increasing pressures in the last few years on the Canadian mining industry and they, they do have their own sort of watchdog organization, the, uh, the prospectors and development association of Canada um, the uh, environmental groups like Mine Watch uh, is another level of <laughs> watchdog. I, I would hope that they can be tr trusted. Um, yeah, I just looked up the CPAD uh, guidelines for mitigating effects on caribou, and th th these are not new, and <laughs> they should have been recognized by Marathon as the standard. These do have response levels that start with one caribou uh, in a five kilometer area. So. We're now seeing that standard, and, and let's hope that uh, uh, they remain a credible mining company, as Marathon is, really. 
uh, at least operating in Canada. And mm-hmm. yeah, let's hope we can trust them. Um, now, uh, the uh, of course, uh, there are many uncertainties here um, as um, there's there's risk and um, and there's nothing that really that marathon could can do to uh, reduce the risk overall because we're talking about a very sensitive environmental area, an unfortunate place to build a gold mine, but that is just the reality. And in their uh, materials, they talk about the um, the sort of uh, the long-term effect of this development on the caribou and the possibility of behavioral change. We are talking here about a an operation that will uh, be going 24-7 for at least 13 years, maybe longer, because they're finding new deposits all the time. So we can be assured of at least 13 years of 24-7 operation. And they are asking the question, what will be the the effect on the caribou over that long period of time in terms of the way they negotiate their world? And they kind of downplay that. Um, and I wonder what you think of the uh, of uh, the implications of that um, intense prolonged activity on the caribou. Uh, it's my biggest concern, actually. And, and, and the story hasn't changed since we talked about this 18 months ago. The proponent uses the Star Lake development, which is uh, 30 years ago. Um, that development did create a change to the migratory route. And that route returned after dam construction to uh, the what it was before. Now, that was with mitigation in place. That was a much shorter period for the development of the Star Lake Hydro. Um, And I think my fear is that that also was in a period when coyotes were not established. So there's honesty in the proponent's new uh, plan that that caribou um, are at a delicate energy balance. Um, But that energy balance almost certainly changed with predators on the landscape that they did not have at the time of Star Lake. So citing Star Lake that, you know, the behavioral changes that we foresee with Valentine Lake will be uh, temporary doesn't convince me. I I also should mention that, you know, the the mitigation plan, while it's excellent, um, as best you could hope, uh, it's it's borrowed from other parts of Canada that have more recent experience with mine development, especially BC and Alberta, and those those populations are in decline. So, um, thirteen years plus the construction costs uh, or time, uh, you're looking at uh, a period that uh, will will influence the demographics uh, through through behavior changes. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. And that's that's 15 years, and I, I presume it didn't take 15 years to build uh, the Star Lake Dam. So we're talking about a much uh, greater much, length of time. So to cite to cite Star Lake is really, you know, pretty unreasonable. Yeah, I agree. Hmm. Um, and I suppose in the, uh, I mean, um, the the these um, submissions from. Um, from Marathon deal with a whole raft of things, not only the caribou, but they're dealing with um, all the other concerns raised and in, uh, in the uh, in the in the comment, the public comment on their first submission. And um, I note that recently in 
in uh, on that portion of the island, there was uh, this phenomenon known as the atmospheric river, where this uh, large um, uh, uh, moisture system kind of sits in the sky and doesn't move. Um, uh, it's the same thing that caused the flooding in BC. And of course, if that were to park itself over this development, then uh, you know the implications there would be um, would be serious. So I guess. Uh, the point is that we're dealing with um, we're dealing with a a sort of changing situation of of climate change, and also of this caribou population, which is um, vulnerable to begin with. Uh, it's not at its uh, its strongest and, and most numerous uh, right now because of the coyotes, as you say, and and other things. So, I guess taking it all into account, um, you know, there's some assurance there in what Marathon is saying, but. Uh, Marathon is not in a position to give assurance uh, when we take uh, the total picture into account. Right. And climate change is this great uncertainty that we're starting to see as a reality. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I've pointed out, you know, on the one hand, it's really good to see that there's mitigation now of, you know, uh, any effluent, uh, sorry, there's protection such that any effluent uh, does not immediately meet a, you know, a permanent water course, which we didn't have in the first EA. But uh, what we do ha have is a development in a wetland complex, like much of Newfoundland. This is an area where it's hard to say you're in an upland at any point. So yeah, if, if there was heavy rain for a sustained period, I don't think fish habitat is protected. Mm. Uh, so yeah, we, um, yeah it's, uh, that is a concern. So there's improvement for sure in, in detail, honesty, and uh, uh, overall planning by the proponent, but um, th there's admitted risk as well at every stage. Yes, high risk uh, as Marathon acknowledges. Yes. Right, Brian, well, uh, thank, you for, uh, thank you for reading the deep read and filling us in on this latest, um, latest uh, version by Marathon. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Brian McLaren, Associate Professor in the Department of Natural Resources Management at Lakehead University, Thunder Bay, Ontario. And that's it for the program. Allison Baker is the producer of Big Mom Matters. Rachel Dial is our researcher. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for the latest Mi'kmaq news and views. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Emson Ogamah.